This is an ABC podcast. This is Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. Hello and welcome to Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Bobby McCumber. Gladys Habu is many things. She's a pharmacist, an environmental warrior, a UN ambassador and a former beauty queen. She's even received the Commonwealth Point of Light Award, a prestigious honour awarded to volunteers who make a difference to their communities. So how did a young woman from the Solomon Islands get here? When Gladys was 14 years old, something huge happened that shifted her world on its axes. She realised that the island of her grandparents, where she had spent her childhood picnicking and playing, was disappearing. She started to document its demise, which set her on a path of environmental advocacy that she continues today. Gladys, hello, loyu. Hello, Bobby. Thank you so much for having me today. Now, you were born in Papua New Guinea and moved to Honiara in the Solomon Islands when you were two, but a tiny island called Kale holds huge significance to you. Where was Kale Island? So Kale is located in Isabel province, um, so which is one of the uh, well, one out of nine main provinces here in, in Solomon Islands, um, and it's in the northwestern end. Uh, tell me a little bit about this island. So you, what does it look like and what do you remember about it? Yeah, um, I guess my earliest memories of Kale um, come because of uh, the fact that I've been fortunate to, you know, be able to live that Honiara town life and then go back every holiday um, to Isabel province with my um, dad's side of the family um, and, you know, our extended family. So, yeah, Kale is a beautiful island, white sandy beaches, like really, really nice white sandy beach. Um, um, I remember it having like a really thick forest because I remember walking in with my parents, you know, holding their hands. I couldn't go by myself. Um, uh, we would go for picnics, swim in the sea, go for fishing, uh, you know, we'd go for walks in the bush, uh, look for uh, maybe see if uh, megapods have come to nest or maybe turtles have come to nest. Um, so uh, it was quite a, a fun thing to do um, uh, when we were little and, and growing up. Mm. Why was it so important to you? Um, so Kale is uh, a, a tribal land, so it belongs to my grandfather's um, um, side of the family. Uh, my grandfather and his family actually lived there. Uh, so they had a house, they had a little um, coconut plantation, garden, all that. Um, but over time, they realized they could no longer stay there. And so they all just uh, moved and stayed at the mainland uh, or the main village. Um, so I guess, you know, being able to go back to Kale for picnics and stuff was our way of connecting with um, with the land and keeping that ownership we have um, so it, it's quite significant um, to us. Mm. How would you get there? Um, so generally we, we would go by ship. Um, so from Honiara, it's about a seven-hour trip um, uh, to Buala, uh, where we, um, where, that's the Isabel Township, and we take our boat from our little settlement there. Um, and it's about another four and a half hour drive on a little 40-horse um, engine, which my, my family have. Um, and we enjoyed the coastline drive down. Um, and Kale is only about a five-minute drive from where we stay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's quite the uh, effort to get there. It's a journey. Yeah, it is a journey. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so how often would you travel there? Yeah, so we do it um, sort of almost every holiday when I was little. And then as we grew up, um, you know, attending university, I guess, 
probably was the first time I'd been away for, for a while before returning again. Um, but fortunately, at this time, we had the option to, you know, go by plane as well. Uh, so mm. that makes it a lot faster. Um, but it's still, uh, you know, a short boat ride um, away from where we actually live. Yeah. When you were younger, how long would you stay on the island for? We'd just go for a few hours. Um, oh. Yeah. Yeah, just pretty much have a picnic, swim in the sea. You know, if we catch fish, we light up a fire, uh, you know, cook up the fish, have it, uh, you know, have a bit of a play around and then uh, return to where we stay. Um, and then we just spend like maybe about a month of our school holidays and then we come back into town and get ready to get back into the year. Yeah. Wow. Was there any reason that you didn't stay overnight there? Uh, there wasn't any sort of shelter there, um, ah. so we didn't really um, have the the option to stay there. I mean, I, we could camp, yeah. uh, but I don't remember any time doing it on Kale actually, because yeah, it just seems seemed to really change so fast. And yeah, I remember this one time, you know, just doing the occasional, oh, let's go to Kale, uh, have a picnic, um, and we realized it was much, much smaller than what I had, you know, remembered growing up. And that was when I was like, whoa, I, I literally said, it looks like it only has 10 trees, like I could count the trees. Mm. Um, and so that was quite a dramatic change. Um, so we we documented that. Um, and, and I'm like, I'm so happy that we did because I didn't, you know, I didn't know at one point this was ever going to completely submerged underwater and it did so only five years from that time. So mm. was this when, how old were you at the time when you noticed uh, the changes to Kale Island? I believe, I believe I was about 14 years old um, a year uh, at that time, so quite young. Um, but I guess it sparked my interest to learn about, you know, global warming and understand the climate and, you know, why this might, might be happening. I guess one of the things that really um, was helpful for me was I had a little camera, which is a gift for or a reward for doing well in school, I think, if I'm right, or a birthday gift. Um, and so I was able to document it. Um, and so I used my photographs in my school assignments as my way of advocating about the issue. Um, basically just captured everybody's um, reactions. I have never actually released a video, to be honest, but I do have it. Um, and... Yeah, I've, I've gone back to it from time to time just to see, you know, and it, like, to be honest, I guess the raw reaction was just, everyone is just like, wow, like we're literally driving over a whole island or, or where it used to be. Um, and like, no one really had anything to say, really. We were just like, yeah, blown away. So how long was it before Kale was completely underwater? Um, so when I first um, noticed this like um, drastic change, it was um, 2009. Um, and by 2014, around Christmas time, uh, we were planning on doing the same thing, um, visit Kale. And yeah, that was when we realized it was just all underwater. We're just driving in between like dead tree trunk, uh, trunks um, yeah, that were remained, you know, I mean, remained in the water and then... Mm. Um, I think at the time it was also um, high tide, so it, it made a really dramatic difference, I guess. I guess by this time we were all uh, already living in our little settlement just outside from the main village um, called Kobaka. Uh, so that's where we're all based. Um, uh, my grandfather, he um, passed away um, in early 2000s, so he wasn't there with us. Um, 
but yeah, we still maintain this connection with the extended family um, and until up until 2014. And, you know, to this day, we still go go by and um, to visit some of our other um, customary land, but we just sort of just drive over Kale now. Mm. How did this shape your life? I guess that that sort of loss uh, was so important to me that it, um, you know, ignited a passion or a drive to um, do something. Um, and I guess by the time, you know, Carla had completely submerged underwater, I was now in university um, and I'd now had access to social media platforms. Um, and I've realized that, you know, our voice is actually really powerful and social media is a great medium, you know, to, to amplify these kinds of stories. And I realized that I wasn't the only one um, in Solomon Islands who would, you know, who would have a story like this. I think others may have similar um, situations. Um, and especially coming from like rural um, Solomon Islands, uh, a lot of people do not have access to um, social media the way I do. And so I thought it's a gift to be able to utilize my voice in this way. Hmm. While you visited Kale Island as a kid, you grew up in Honiara, which you mentioned. What led your family to settle there? Um, so, yeah, so my mum and dad, after my dad completed um, university, we all moved into Honiara for work. Um, so dad started um, doing some work with the government. Um, and that is, I guess that was our family home. Um, so we all just sort of started off there. Um, yeah, it was at uh, a little suburb called White River. And I shouldn't say little, it's quite big now. We just had a very simple upbringing. Uh, myself as the eldest with my two younger brothers, um, and lots of my cousins around. It was quite a challenging environment as well to grow up as a female. Um, and a lot of my fellow White River, uh, <laughs> you know, people would, would agree on that. Um, but nonetheless, I think being in such environment had helped to really um, build my ability to interact with very different people uh, within the community and build uh, a good level of confidence. I think a lot of really talented people have come out of White River. So it's not just mm -hmm. myself. Like people like General Local, you know, all of us, we started at White River. So it's it's still a good thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You mentioned, you know, growing up as a, as a young girl, it was challenging. You had two brothers as well. What were some of those challenges that you faced as a child? Being mixed race, uh, it's, uh, I guess, having a bit more lighter skin than uh, everyone around me in general at that time. Um, I kind of felt like I stood out in a way that I shouldn't. Um, you know, I'd, I had to really watch how I dressed. Uh, you know, I, I didn't want to attract any sort of unnecessary comments. So uh, for me, that was, yeah, a challenging because I had mm -hmm. to sort of juggle between that and also um, trying to express myself the way I'd like to. Um, and, you know, going through the whole teenage phase, I think my mom and dad would probably say that, you know, yeah, They've been trying their best to keep a good guidance, and I'm glad I I, I listened. I'm glad <laughs> um, we um, managed to sort of keep a really good balance between expressing myself but being able to be part of the community um, in a way where we all share, you know, sort of similar interests and stuff and not be really out there and, and getting unnecessary, um, yeah, comments or anything towards me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
What were some of the activities that you'd get up to with your two brothers? Um, well, we like riding um, our bicycles. We, we had bicycles. We would ride around the community. Um, we would play tennis together, uh, play soccer. So we, we did try to make it uh, really fun. We had lots of books to read, did science experiments. Mm. Yeah, little things like that. So it wasn't them playing Barbie dolls with me. I don't really remember having Barbie dolls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, you started to support UNICEF in addressing local challenges like maternal and childhood health. What can you tell me about the kids growing up at the same time as you in Honiara? What were they struggling with? Um, I, gu- I guess children in general in Honiara struggle a lot with um, nutrition. Um, um, so stunting was a huge problem. Um, and there was a campaign um, to help to reduce stunting. And and that sort of, I guess, made them look into um, the community and look for um, people who could champion some of these programs for, for UNICEF Pacific. Um, and so what I, I think I got an invitation from the nutrition officer then, um, Salome, and she essentially said, you know, we we recognize your work um, and UNICEF Pacific would like for you to um, volunteer um, as a supporter and lead the first 1,000 Days of Life um, campaign. And I should say, like, one in three children in Solomon Islands at the moment are stunted um, in, in their growth, um, which really affects our productivity as a nation overall. So it, it was a huge um, national-led um, campaign. Um, and we did educational videos. Um, we went into the community. We did awareness. Um, I, I think I did... I believe I did some provincial um, visits as well with the nutrition team from UNICEF. Um, so things like that um, to help with, with children. Um, but also, I guess, on the mother's side, um, going in and supporting them antenatally and, you know, helping them to make sure they're well prepared for their pregnancy um, during their pregnancy and after their pregnancy. Hmm. That's incredible. So one in three children under five are stunted uh, due to poor yeah. nutrition. Is this something that you noticed when you were younger or only as you were older and studying this? Um, probably not when I was younger because um, I think, you know, you don't really look at these things too much when you're young, but it was a bit later on uh, when I realised this. And, and in fact, I got into more detail only when UNICEF had reached out and I realised how significant this number was. Speaking of health, when did you realise you wanted to work in medicine? Um, I've always wanted to work in medicine for as far as I can remember. Um, and I think it's uh, because I was inspired by my auntie. So she she's a doctor. She's a medical doctor. Um, and, yeah, she's always been a person who has um, done well and who's been really independent amongst her four other brothers, which includes my dad. Um, so for me, I was like, oh, yeah. You know, I, I want to do something similar and she'd take me to the hospital. And so I thought, wow, this is where I sort of feel like I can be able to help. And I have um, the gift um, to understand a lot of the science behind these things. I did a, take up a lot of science subjects, did my biology, chemistry, physics, all of that so I can get into medicine. Um but unfortunately, uh, the Australia Awards program um, could not sponsor a study of medicine in Australia, and I wanted to study in Australia. So the closest I could go was pharmacy, and mm. I'm glad I chose it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
You're listening to Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Bobby McCumber and I'm speaking with Gladys Habu, a UN ambassador and environmental advocate from Honiara. Uh, Gladys, you wear many hats, but in 2021, you added a crown when you became Miss Solomon Islands. Uh, Were you always into beauty pageants? (laughs) Um, Honestly... I no no um I did I did ask my mom and dad this actually I said you know have I ever asked you guys to you know be you know a beauty pageant at any time during high school and they did say a couple of times I did um but my mom and dad's advice to me then was you don't have to do that you can let your friends do it once I completed university and um once I was approached to um, campaign in in Miss Solomon Islands, that brought this interest again, and I thought actually this might be a good thing, um, but only if it had a, a good purpose to it, um, because obviously I grew up with lots of brothers. I did not know nothing or much about fashion, couldn't even cart work, things like that. So <laughs> yeah, I guess Miss Solomon Islands was not really on my radar at all. Um, until 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 I got approached to to participate, yeah. I had completed university. Um, I was working as a senior pharmacist at the National Hospital, and I had started to quickly grow an interest in in um, oncology, pharmacy, or cancer. Um, and so the cancer team um, were really supportive of my work. We had a really good relationship, and it so happened that this campaign came out, um, around October, Pinktober, which is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And, um, at the time, breast cancer incidents had like really increased a lot, uh, and we needed someone to advocate on this matter and encourage people to actually come, or especially women to come and get checked early as possible. Um, and so because of that, I, I saw an important purpose. Um, it was, you know, I guess a way that I could expand my interest in chemotherapy drugs and cancer in general. Um, and so I accepted the challenge. Yeah. And now I have to ask, what was your talent? Um, so my talent I, uh, was a spoken word um, poem. Uh I think it was called Ties That Bind Women Together. I, I did write it myself, yes. Um, and I, like, in terms of um, choreographing, uh, like, the spoken part of it, I did have some support from uh, one of my aunties, yeah. Oh, incredible. Uh, other than the prize, what was the most valuable thing about that experience? Being in Miss Solomon Islands, for me, what I guess was more than just about beauty it was about a purpose and allowing that purpose to bring out this beauty having a good team on board with me you know that had helped me to reach the the successful crowning i guess was something i never dreamed of and so i felt um, um, really empowered that my voice could really do so much for the community on this platform so yeah being in miss solomon islands and working with the cancer team the biggest thing that I, I was proud of is establishing the National Referral Hospital Cancer Trust. Um, and we renovated the whole cancer unit, um, of course, with a big team behind it as well. Um, and we tried to make it the best or most comfortable for patients coming in, receiving their chemotherapy and sitting there for hours rather than sweating out in the heat. Um, so for me, the fact that this... Um, trust is still functioning today it makes me so happy and i feel uh, very proud um, of that achievement 
Um, and I guess 2019 was a tough time for the country in general. Um, and I, I won't dwell into it much, but it was at the time when we switched ties between Taiwan and China. And so going regionally for Miss Pacific Islands um, and competing against 11 other countries, despite it being daunting, it was a way of bringing my country together and uniting us again um, in, in quite a tough time or, or what was quite a tough time for us. What did you like about pharmacy? Um, so pharmacy, I guess, was the closest thing to medicine, um, but it was uh, oh, it is a lot more highly involved in the actual medicine, the drug itself, than it is the human body. I guess compared to Australia or the UK, um, we are still largely dispensary-based. Um, clinically, um, you know, being a ward pharmacist, it's still something that a lot of our pharmacists are getting the hang of. Uh, and not everyone has the confidence um, to go out and be on the wards working side by side with the doctors. Um, but that was something I, I really liked doing. And I really established a strong connection with um, the medical professionals that I had worked with. Um, so it really empowered me a lot um, in my work. And I, I felt very rewarded for that. Is it hard to access basic medications in the Solomons? Yeah, so it's it's not always easy. Um, we, I guess, the pharmacy tries to stock as much as possible every um, uh, basic drug that we need. Um, but with so many different um, factors in play, um, not all the time we get um, ninety percent stock level. I would say. I think um, recently we've struggled a lot um, with our procurement, our supplies. Um, so it has. Uh, still has a, a huge impact um, on, on patients, um, but also it really affects the medical professionals that are working at the hospital as well, because, you know, they diagnose someone, but, you know, they don't have the drug to treat or things like that. So, Gladys, 2021 was a busy year for you. You also received the Commonwealth Point of Light Award. First of all, what is the Commonwealth Point of Light Award? So it's awarded to Commonwealth nations, to individuals who volunteer their time to making an impact in their community. I, I remember actually being informed by the British High Commissioner at that time, who was Dr. Brian Jones. Um, and he had said that, you know, I've been, I had been recognised for my work and that I was um, um, going to receive a certificate from Her Majesty. Uh, it, it was quite an honour. I remember just coming back from the village and uh, receiving a little gift card from the British High Commission saying Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. <laughs> um, and I saw this email just right after and it said, you're receiving recognition from the Queen. And I thought, oh, wow, like, um, like, yeah, wow. Like I have never, ever thought that my work would be recognised in this manner and because I've never worked for one and I didn't <laughs> even know about it. Yeah, But it's a very important award, I would say, yeah. Uh, how did your family react when you told them the news of this award? They were so happy. Um, yeah, they couldn't believe it. Um, yeah, all of us were just like um, really appreciative that this is something or our work or something that was recognised by Her Majesty. Not only that, I guess after the loss of Carly and having this recognition, it's it, it's a way of sort of putting a mark out there and, you know, letting Carly live on as well. Um, so it really brought uh, credibility to the work that I was doing or I have been doing and still am doing. 
And um, it had really encouraged my younger siblings, uh, my cousins and everyone to join um, hands in actually advocating about climate change. It's, you know, it's consequences and how we can try to make things better for us going forward. Yeah. So you've had the opportunity to travel quite a bit for studying both in Australia and the UK and always coming back to the Solomon Islands. What is it that you love when you come home to the Solomon Islands? Um, I love the challenge of trying to to improve the the standards that we have um, um, here in the Solomon Islands. I know every time I'm out in Australia or um, in the UK doing work, even in, in the hospital, you know, and you know, hearing people complain about pay and, you know, wages and things like that. And I come back to the Solomon's and like, we are nowhere near that. Um, and I, I get surprised that our people are very content with what we have. But I think what I really like to inspire and to encourage others in the Solomon's to, to do is, is keep striving and wanting for better standards and wanting um, for much better access to, um, you know, things like medication and, and basic needs that, we, um, you know, we, we need uh, in in society, um, and I think that really helps uh, to develop and progress as a nation, and which is what uh, uh, countries like Australia and UK are really good at doing, and you know, really good at getting the people along and you know, getting better each time. So, yeah, having that appreciation of both worlds is important to me, but also coming back, keeping in connection with um, my family here, and not just in Solomon Islands, in Papua New Guinea as well, my mom's side of the family, um, and being able to have that grounded nature. Um, so no matter how far I saw, I'll still, you know, come back um, and remember how it all started and why I all started doing it. Yeah. Mm. Speaking of connection and family, you're a new mum. Can you tell me about your baby? Yeah, um, it's, it's I, my baby. Her name's Nadia. She's about oh, closing into five months now. Um, she's a really, really good little, little bub. Um, I'm so, so blessed to have had her. It's, it's a, yeah, an incredible new journey that I am enjoying, um, so far. Um, yeah. Mm. You've done so much for children through your advocacy, both in protecting their health today and in trying to secure their future on this planet. How has becoming a parent made you reflect on your goals as an advocate? I guess becoming a parent for me has come at, at a right time. I feel very prepared. Um, I have always had uh, written somewhere in my mind that, I'd, you know, if I was fortunate enough to find a good life partner, I'd get married, have a stable family, um, and I'd start at the age of 28, which is where I am today. Um, so, you know, throughout my advocacy, I guess I've always been saying we need to um, do more or we need to see more tangible action to help our future and to protect our children and, you know, give them an experience of being part of what we also grew up with and protecting what we have left. Um, and so now that I finally have Nadia come in um, to the picture, it's it's actually quite challenging and it's daunting. You know, I see all that's happening around the world today and it's like all I feel is how can I protect my baby? You know, how can I give her the, the best guidance possible so she can make the best decisions for herself and be her best version, but also, um, you know, still be able to respect the differences that we have in today's society. And yeah, it's it's not an easy task. I, I really, hands down, have a 
whole new level of appreciation for mothers and what they go through um, in looking after their children. And I think for my work, it, it, I guess now I can speak more from a personal level and from my own experiences as well. And I, I hope that this is something that would allow me to connect better to the people in the community that I go out to help, um, especially young mothers um, and especially the children as well. Oh, Gladys, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. At 28 years of age, you've accomplished so much and no doubt you will continue to strive and do great things for the people of the Solomon Islands. Uh, thank you for today. Thank you so much, Bobby, and, and thank you for choosing to, you know, hear my story and let it air out for, for people. That was Gladys Habu, former Miss Solomon Islands environmental warrior, health advocate, pharmacist and new mum. You've been listening to Stories from the Pacific. I'm Bobby McCumber. To catch more great stories about incredible people from the Pacific, just search for ABC Pacific. This story was produced on the lands of the Yagara and Turrbal people.